the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Looking for strategies to help you protect your portfolio in these uncertain times? Visit RobBlack.com. RobBlack.com. Powered by EP Wealth. December 5, 2022. Years rolling on. Real quick bit of business, I want to issue a sincere apology for the statements that I made last week. I briefly discussed my personal recollection of an experience with some of the sales force of Ken Fisher many, many, many years ago. Some of the words and phrases I used to make certain points were clearly excessive and uncalled for. And I shouldn't have made them, and I won't in the future. I realize these kind of statements have no place in financial media. I sincerely apologize to Ken Fisher, the staff at Fisher Investments, and my audience. Next thing in business, year to date, the stock market is down 26%. The S&P 500 down 14%. The Dow Jones Industrial Average down 5%. Ten-year treasury, this has been an interesting year for the ten-year treasury. You're not going to say that like more than probably twice in your investment career. Maybe, but I I doubt it. Um, Starting the year very, very low. The cost of money was very, very low for corporations, for credit cards, for consumers. Uh, for the bond market, and it's been a weird year for the bond market. You're not going to say that, hopefully, many times in your lifetime, your investment lifetime. Now, again, lifetime, age zero to 180. I know you're saying, where are you going with this? I saw a turtle turned 190 years old this weekend, born in 1832, world's oldest living and land animal. I always say this always kills me to say this word Seychelles. The Seychelles giant tortoise tortoise is thought to have been born in 1832. I don't even know how they would find that. What does this tortoise do? It's still mates. Can you imagine yourself at 190 years old? That's one of the parts of the show. We want to get you to retirement from your investment lifetime, which is 20, I think to 60 your lifetime is zero to 75, 85, early 90s. Some of us get to 100, but not very many. But you want your money from age 20 to 60 to last from age 60 to, say, 100. We're not going to count on 190. Could you imagine not working for 130 years? Just hanging on the beach like the turtle? The Nasdaq down 26% for the year. The SP 500 down 14. The Dow down 5. The 10 year treasury, like I said, this isn't going to happen too many times in your lifetime, sits at 3. Point, almost 5%. It becomes, in the short term, a little more dysfunctional around 4, 4.2%, which we've been at this year. But it seems to help the market kind of with the expectation the Fed may be close to done to raising interest rates, except for that job number on Friday was was pretty good. Um, and again, causing the Fed a little bit of consternation. They, I'm not going to say they, 
the ideal would be that inflation takes care of itself with lower interest rates, but the reality is it's probably going to take some, what Joseph Schumpter once said, an economist, creative destruction. Capitalism is creative destruction. We're going to have to lose some jobs to get people to say, you know what, I need a second job to make ends meet, which helps fills the job openings out there, which helps... um, replenish emergency funds there's there's a lot of positives and there's kind of a lot of negatives i know you're saying well second job's a good thing economically stock market speaking it kind of is but again that's on the edge very debatable let's talk a little bit about russian oil this is one of the stories this week that we have to look not forward to we're going to process it While the war in Ukraine grinds on, and it's grinding, Western countries have been debating how to curb Russia's oil revenue. They think that they've landed in an innovative solution starting today. The G7, which is a group of major democracies and Australia. (laughs) Isn't that stink to be Australia there? It's the G7 plus Australia. They're going to apply a price cap of $60 a barrel on Russian oil. Now, what does this accomplish? Well, first and foremost, it doesn't cut Russia completely off from the rest of the world. India, China, and Turkey, they're like, you know, the West, we don't really care for your sanctions on Europe. We're going to get the oil that we need, and we'll get it at a lower price. Thank you. Russia's forced to sell its oil for cheaper than it wants to. It could didn't Vladimir Putin's ability to fund the war in Ukraine. Sales of oil and gas are estimated to account for about 42% of Russia's revenue. But the price cap on oil is kind of creative. Is where is the mechanism of enforcement? Which, again, with OPEC, and let's see, this is a sidestep here. OPEC has historically been able to say, we're going to raise oil output by 1 million barrels. And then, like, Cater or Iraq, Iran, Saudi Arabia. Someone would cheat and say, well, we're going to do it by a million, two barrels. Um, same thing on the, on the, are you going to be good with this? Western countries dominate the maritime industry that Russia r- relies on to ship its oil. So the G7 is telling Western companies that they can't insure, finance, or ship Russian oil that's more than $60 a barrel. That's the enforcement mechanism. That's pretty interesting. Um, one area where I am happy not to do a radio show, there will be no broad black and your money radio show on the oil shipping industry. Um, although shipping is pretty fascinating because you can tell a lot from it. It's a lot like a Dow Jones transport where planes, trains and automobiles, they haul everything around the world. And when their stocks tank, it's kind of like, uh oh, what's coming down the road? Same thing with the shipping industry. The cost per freighter is a big to tell the truth moment. So Russia has said, and of course, there's never a linear plan on Wall Street, on the economy. There's just compromises. There's not, we're going to do this and that's going to all be a-okay. Like we're going to raise interest rates and the economy's going to be a-okay. Now there's going to be a, a bump or two along the road. So Russia said it would not accept the price cap and pledged to cut off exports to countries that comply with it. A threat that would cause energy prices to shoot higher, which could destabilize the stock market in the short term, right? 
Russia has been assembling a shadow fleet of more than 100 ships to help it move oil without relying on Western maritime companies. Price may not be exactly right is one of the issues. One of the sticking points to the negotiations was figuring out the sweet spot for the price cap. Ukraine, for one, believes it's far too high at 60. That's effectively, you know, slowly draining Putin's war chest. It's a big picture. Um, this is one of the things we're going to have to deal with this week. There's a lot that we're going to have to deal with this week. We're coming towards the end of the year, December 5th, right? We have a Santa Claus rally going on. Stocks are on a bit of a run. They've had two back-to-back winning weeks, October and November, were both solid months. Earl Powell suggested he's ready to reduce the size of rate hikes. But Friday's job reports showed that the stubbornly hot labor market not cooperating quite just. I'm Rob Black. Find me online at robblackshow.com. You are listening to the Rob Black Show podcast. For more information on EP Wealth, visit robblack.com. That's robblack.com. You know, one of the things I like about the end of the year certainly more time with my family and that's a weird thing to say because when I was a younger man that wasn't necessarily my thought it was more like a vacation or something right um, but on Wall Street at the end of the year you get the figureheads you get the talking heads you get the economist you get the strategist come out and say kind of like what did we get right what did we get wrong very rarely are they going to focus on what they did wrong um, if any of us saw this year coming I would be surprised Do you remember this time last year, not this time last year, but maybe 14, 15 months ago? So about this time last year, we were talking about inflation as being transitory. The Federal Reserve was transitory. And then we get into the year and it's like, nope, this is sticky. Transitory meaning gas prices rise. We cut our demand because it's too expensive. $7 a barrel back down to four we go and it stays there. It didn't happen like that. Top strategist Ed Yardini explains the biggest risk that could send the U.S. economy into a recession. He talked about three stock sectors he's most bullish for on 2023. Ed Yardini, if you were to go to my bubblegum collection of baseball cards of top players on Wall Street, he's one of them. He's someone that is in my Google Alerts. That the moment a story breaks on him in business, I, I, I try to catch it. Um, I'm not saying he is as important as Warren Buffett. I'm not saying that he's my cleanup hitter or nothing like that. A lot of what you need to do as an investor is is try to get not the garbage in, garbage out thing, but quality in. You need to consume as much info that is more right than wrong as you can. So veteran market strategist, veteran, he's been around a long time. He's an economist, Ed Yardini. He believes the United States economy will avoid a recession next year. Now, again, there's probably three cases for 2023 for most of Wall Street right now. Um, Sometime in the second half, maybe the middle of 2023, we're going to see no recession. Recession avoided like a meteor, right? We're going to see a a light recession, which is an inch deep, hopefully a mile wide. So it, it hits enough things that we feel there was a washout. Or we can see a heavy recession, which would be a mile deep and a mile wide. Uh, That's the best analogy I can give for you. I think 
many on Wall Street think so far we've priced in a mild recession. Ed Yardini is saying we may be able to avoid a recession. He publishes research notes on quick takes. He's the president of Yardini Research. He's forecasting a 40% chance of a hard landing and a 60% chance of a soft landing. Now, there's always a funny line from like um, movies, right? And one of them would be, I'm a gambling man by nature. I'm not a gambling man by nature. I like looking at the long-term history of Wall Street. There's a map that most Wall Street businesses own somewhere in their office that shows the Dow Jones Industrial Average from the 1920s to current day. And it shows that it starts in the lower left and goes up to the lower right. And you forget World War One, and you don't see World War Two, And you don't see Korea and you don't see nuclear bombs and you don't see presidential assassinations. You don't see high oil. You don't see low oil. You don't see all the events that we've gone through, whether it's bird flu, swine flu, COVID, Ebola. A lot of the things that have been dramatic disappear on a long-term view of the market. And you see that the market works through those issues. So Ed Yardini is typically considered more bullish than less. His bullish views come even as bond yields curves have inverted, which is typically a sign of a recession, a Paul Revereian, uh-oh. We can just see by two bond indices and their charts like uh oh there's a pattern that's crossing this is not good um so that inversion typically says recession's on the way but your denny said the curve may not be as reliable of a recession indicator compared to previous years so he's saying okay even though we used to say that was true this year we may not that's probably one area where i'm starting to get a little nervous this time around, the credit system is in much better shape. He thinks the economy is much more resilient to a tighter monetary policy. Adding that strong consumer spending will stave off a downturn. He thinks it's impossible. The Fed is already close to the so-called terminal rate. He thinks it's possible. The Fed is already close to its so-called terminal rate. And will keep it there for an extended stretch of time, even though the Fed's saying that's not the case. That's another one that makes me go, okay, he's kind of reading their minds. He's kind of implying, he's assuming, but he's also an economist and he's also been around the block. He's a veteran, right? Quote, I think it's either rates are going to go higher, causing a recession, which would bring interest rates down next year, or else it's going to be a scenario where rates are going to just go sideways for a while. And that'll relieve a lot of inflationary pressures and move through with a soft landing. Okay. I like that he can build his case. Now, I even like it even further that he's going to say, here's some risks to look at. Inflation remains the largest risk for the economy. Okay. Higher cost. I'm seeing more and more Americans are taking second jobs because of inflation. Trying to make ends meet. Gary Denny said goods inflation is turning out to be transitory, but the services side may not see a slowdown until the second half of 2023 when year-over-year growth in rents will peak. We are more of a service-led economy than a manufacturing economy, but we consume a lot of manufactured goods. 
still, in his opinion, as long as there's enough progress in other areas of consumer inflation, he thinks it'll be tolerable. Adding that durable goods inflation should come down as it did prior to the pandemic. Okay. Okay. So do you see why I like this guy? He's pretty well thought out and he, he kind of tags some things along the way. His name's Ed Yardini. And if you want it to play at home and tag him yourself, which some people ask me like, Hey, what's a good, what's some good research? Hey, just Google Yardini research, Google Ed Yardini. And let me spell the name. It's yard like your backyard. Y-A-R-D-E-N-I. Um, and of course, don't he's not your guru. He's not your Buddha. He doesn't work for you. So just because he says it doesn't make it true, okay? Um, geopolitics represents the second largest risk of the economy. So inflation and inflation sticking around. He says if it sticks around, the higher the chance the Fed decides the only way to stem it is to push the economy into a recession. But geopolitics is his second boogeyman behind inflation. Pointing to the Russia-Ukraine war, U.S.-China tensions, and Beijing's zero-COVID policies, as well as Iran. Um, that's an interesting one that we don't talk a lot about, but we've seen protests in 2022 tied towards what appears to be the death of a woman in custody in Iran. I don't know enough politics to really talk about it. And I'm not privy to any information that you're not seeing on CNN. But his quote that Ed Yardini said, and I, I go hallelujah when I see this, he goes, the world just isn't a safe place these days. So he sees Russia, Ukraine, U.S. China tensions, Beijing zero COVID policies and Iran. So I've admitted I don't know much about Iran and how that can get out of hand, but they're sitting on top of a lot of oil. Beijing zero COVID policies very interesting on President Xi out of China. Not really wanting the West's help with vaccines, which is unfortunate, it feels like. And again, do I know the political hot button well enough to know why he's not taking our, our vaccines? Um, it just appears our vaccines are more effective. Remember when they were like the Pfizer vaccine is 94% effective against uh, COVID. They're using what are in the 60s, 65% levels from what I last saw. And again, research that's, I don't know if we can count on the CDC to give us accurate research, but uh, it's out there, okay? So if inflation's actually going up because of another round of geopolitical stress, he says, and supply chains and so on, the Fed clearly would have to raise interest rates further. His top sectors for 2023, he thinks the S&P 500 could climb to around 4,800. He's bullish on energy, financials, and technology. Those are all pretty much so growthy kind of areas. Um, with financials being the most value right now out of the three, energy stocks can rise even as climate activism limits the supply side because the demand side remains stronger than ever. His quote was, the transition from fossil fuels to renewable sources is obviously turning out to be much, much tougher on the climate activists who are way too optimistic about how easy it would be. So energy is definitely number one. <laughs> did he just take a shot at uh, climate activists? He kind of did. He says financials are in great shape. He said thanks to strong balance sheets and loans at all-time highs. The financial crisis that we went through in the 2008 housing recession, where we had really problematic loans, 
grouped together with good loans and it kind of didn't go the way the bankers wanted it to. Bad loans tainted good loans. So he says, these loans today with the financials aren't those loans. He said, quote, technology's gotten better. Oh, that's his final sector that he likes, um, that he's highlighting. He said, the fundamentals of profit on the enterprise side look good and the productivity enhancements uh, looks quite good. And as we know, semiconductors are just about everything in everything these days. I like Ed Yard, did he? He doesn't waste my time with his articles in any way, shape, or form. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. What's the best way to choose a financial advisor? Download our guide at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. Powered by EP Wealth. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. Um, this show is for infotainment purposes only. Consult a broker advisor for taking action on any stocks ever mentioned. I don't know you. You don't know me. With that said, we've I've done the show for 25 years, back to 1996, which is crazy. I was when the original podcast was seen at. We didn't call them podcasts, then. we just had to go to the website and download the radio show on an MP3 file. Um, I'm proud of that. It's It's been a long career, and I get more right than wrong, but I do get things wrong on occasion. Um, so please be aware of that. Here is a great example of, I'm not going to say dueling banjos, but it's a dueling banjos kind of story. Bitcoin could plunge 70% to 5,000, so says Standard Charter. Impossible 2023 surprise. They say Bitcoin could fall to 5,000. Wow, that's a 70% plunge from where they are, where, where it is right now, around 17,000. Financial market surprises of 2023 is the note. So he's that's almost a shocking one. That's almost like, dun, da, da, da. Now, Tim Draper this morning is saying he predicts Bitcoin will reach 250,000 next year, despite the FTX collapse. The dam is about to break. Draper previously predicted that Bitcoin would hit 250,000 by the end of 2022. That still is numbered, despite the digital coins, more than 60% drop. And this is where I go, I pity the fool that is caught between these two forecasts. One analyst is saying 5,000. One analyst is saying from 17,000 to 250,000, the investment of a lifetime. Now, what's unfortunate here is I have no skin in the game. I have no dog in the hunt. None. Don't want it. Tim Draper saying that he thinks it's going to be 250000 He's a venture capitalist. And I go, hmm, I wonder how much he's got invested in venture capital. I'm cynical. I'm sarcastic. I'm snarky. I'm irreverent, as the title of the show or the messaging of the show goes. He's extended his prediction by six months. It's still his number. I'm not going to say I would cut my hand off and flush it down the toilet. I'm not going to say I'll eat all my toes because it could happen. And I don't want to be the guy on air eating my toes, making my family incredibly ashamed of their toeless father. Uh, Bitcoin would need to rally 1,400% from its current price of around 17000 What I don't like about this, I think it's dangerous. I think that's why we need regulation. I think we need to stop. Like, I'm not allowed to have Joe Montana on this show and go, Hi, I'm Joe Montana, and Rob Black is the best investor ever. 
I'm not allowed to do that because you're susceptible. You're, you're, you're like, Oh, he's the greatest ever. If he's great for Robin, he must be great for me. Like that's, it's inappropriate. I don't tout stocks. If I want to buy X, Y, Z and I talk about on air, I'm not allowed to buy it for three days. Not that I have that much market influence anyway, but there's rules and standards and practices in place. I don't really like someone saying I expect it to go up an amazing amount, 1400% in a year and a half or less, maybe 13 months is his scenario. FTX's demise has worsened an already severe liquidity crisis. Crypto exchange Gemini and Lender Genesis, they're tied together. It's those Winklevoss twins, and they use the twins from astrology, Gemini and Genesis, um, talking to the fallout of the FTX's insolvency. I don't have Gemini and Genesis with the twins in astrology, but I imagine so. Because the Winklevoss twins, which for the record, I... As a kid, weren't you fascinated? Like, I, I'd love to date a twin. I'd love to be a twin. And they're like, twins? They're kind of they're kind of a, a sandwich deal. It would be weird to be in business with my brother as a twin. So I'm just saying, like, our family, we went six different directions. And almost every one of them had a different angle to them. Um, so the Winklevoss twins working together, they're the guys in the social network movie with uh, Zuckerberg and, you know, going back to college. So Mark Mobius told CNBC that Bitcoin could crash to 10,000 next year. Then again, like I told you, Standard Charter predicts it could crash 70% to 5,000. I don't want to say this is a civil war. And Lord knows, I don't want to go into the politics of the civil war. Uh but this is kind of like a civil war. There's too many people on one side saying it's going to go up 1,400%. And then on the other side, it's going to go down another 70%. But hasn't it already been a down year? Yes. Uh, for me, my problem with Bitcoin is I haven't paid for it, anything at a restaurant with it. I haven't bought a car with it, even though Elon Musk toyed with the idea. Didn't he spend about a billion dollars when it was around 40000 and now that's around 17,000, when did you say that maybe Elon Musk isn't the shiniest object that he, we used to think that he was? In fact, his reputation is taking quite a ding recently. Um, but if there's one person you don't want to underestimate, I think it's probably him. So where are we? And again, if Twitter were to say we're going to transact everything in Bitcoin, maybe that would be the lifeline they need. We don't know. It's going to be a vertical that we don't see coming. But Sam Bankman-Fried could face years in prison over FTX's $32 billion meltdown, of which he did hire celebrities to endorse his uh, platform. And Mr. Wonderful is looking Mr. Dreadful right now. He's got to feel like, dang it, my reputation as savvy dealmaker is in the toilet. I'm putting words into his mouth. He probably didn't say dang it. He probably said something a little bit more juicy. But this is not my fight. It's too big of a fight. When people are saying it's going to go down another 70% or, yeah, down 70%, it's, it's not for me. If gold had a, or if Bitcoin had a job, if it couldn't be printed, if it wasn't digital, and don't even get me started on NFTs, I love the idea of Ethereum. And I hope that the underlying technology blockchain does 
live and thrive. Um, I'm a little leery counting on it. If that makes any sense. Um, the smart contract would be like if you were to buy a season ticket to the San Francisco Giants, they could issue a a smart ticket that says if you get in the first three rows, we'll give you an extra 20% off on beverages. We'll give you the ability to resell the ticket without going through us. Um, but if you get in the last 97% of rows, you have to go through us and we get a cut every time you resell that ticket. So there's like little perks that can be added. And like you can see the killers on New Year's Eve in Vegas, that ticket's going to cost you $600, but they'll say, we'll allow you to come to one concert next year for free. It could be written into the ticket contract. There's some really cool things with that. Authors and artists have a little bit more control of their content and getting paid every time it's reused. I once told an author who was signing a book of mine, I said, yeah, I've, 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 he said, it's a well-worn book. It's great. It looks like you've read it a lot of times. I'm like, I've passed around with friends. And the look on his face was like, ah, they didn't pay, did they? Smart contracts can fix that. I was young and naive. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black. Visit the Rob Black Show online at robblackshow.com. Listen to archive podcasts, market updates, and information from EP Wealth's certified financial planners online at robblackshow.com. It is a good time to get a lot of financial planning issues done. Kind of checklist, if you will. Good time to catch a World Cup game. Man, France is looking good. That Killian Mbappe. Nine World Cup goals, and boys, that guy fast. Um, he makes Lyle Messi's early career look like eh, not that impressive. <laughs> it's like youth shall be served, no. Um, Twitter. There's a lot of questions right now. If Twitter collapses because Elon Musk gambled big on Twitter, is Tesla going to pay the price? A lot like Bitcoin, I do have some Tesla shares, but only because I own the S&P 500. So that's not even really shares, is it? I'm indexed into it. So I don't have a lot of weight on Tesla. Um, Twitter was far from perfect before Musk took over, but it wasn't financial stress or distress is the right way of saying it, I suppose. Uh, things have changed overnight. He dismissed. He dismissed their management. He dismissed their board. He dismissed most of their employees. It feels like in contractors, many have quit as well. There's a skeleton crew. It's running and operating. Uh, most of the hate speech is being flagged by artificial intelligence now. So I hear. How does he keep this purchase afloat? It feels like he needs to quickly name a CEO and step aside. But again, I don't know if that's going to happen. Speculation at best. Musk borrowed $20 million from SpaceX to keep the car maker afloat in 2009. Solar City, the solar panel company founded by two of Musk's cousins, in which he has a sizable stake, also received significant support from Musk's firms before Tesla finally stepped in to buy the nearly bankrupt company in 2016. So there's a lot of, I'm not going to say Sam Bakeman Freed style financial engineering. It's not that. But there's a lot of financial engineering going on. Um, so in 2018, SpaceX investors raised the alarm after funds were reused to support Musk's tunnel transportation venture, the Boring Company. 
SpaceX was eventually given a 6% stake in the Boring Company Exchange. Musk's various companies routinely do business with each other. Um, how does that make you feel? In the world of finance, it makes me a little bit, I don't like it. So last week, Elon Musk went after Apple pretty aggressively. And Tim Cook did the right thing. He said, come on down, Elon. Let's take a look at the campus together and uh, see if we can't hash this out. And by the end of the tour, Elon Musk was praising Apple and Apple was back to being on good terms with Elon Musk. How much do we put into that? Let's take a look at what's happening today. Rising oil prices are a story. There's a purchasing managers index out of China. Drawing some blame for negative disposition. On the weaker side, readings under 50 are considered contraction or slowing. China announced relaxed testing requirements to use public transportation and to buy certain medicines. What's interesting about that is reading over the weekend some research. Um, this looks like weakness from China. If we're going to be zero COVID, be zero COVID. Don't say, oh, you can get on the bus without testing. And that's an exaggeration. It's an embellishment. Alphabet's down eight-tenths of a percent today. Microsoft down. Tesla is a laggard. Tesla said that they're going to cut the Model Y output in its Shanghai plant by at least 20%. This is in the last 30 days. This isn't a projection from 90 days ago. Whoops, we got that one wrong. This isn't a year projection. This was 30 days ago. This was going to be the number. Now it's X minus 20%. Delta Airlines offered their pilots a big raise. Tentative agreement to continue to work together with the pilots union. 30% raise over the next three years. That's a big raise, right? Um. Other stories of note today, VF Corporation announced a CEO transition at the same time it issued a 2023 warning, citing weaker than anticipated consumer demand. I know this is going to sound odd, but when we see corporations like VF Corp clothing say things like we expect weaker than expected demand, in the short term, it's good news. Not for the human beings, who are buying it, who can't afford it, not for the human beings who may have to be downsized out of the company. 20 years ago, I would have called that right-sizing a company, and that's just insensitive in this day and age. So I, I in my head, I go, oh, short-term bad news is good news. How do I say that without pissing someone off or upsetting someone or knocking over the cherry cart? What's a cherry cart? Um, or is it an apple cart? I don't even know. Um, but what we have here is a warning and it's, it's good news in that it's more realistic. We're not going, yeah, there's no inflation. Yeah. There's no potential of recession. We're seeing it. And this is just one data point of many. In fact, higher inflation means more work, which is also good news because a job opening for a pizza driver may be taken down this weekend as someone who works as a producer in television says, you know what, I need a little bit more money to, to, to pay for that little extra inflation cost in my life. 
So higher inflation means more work. More Americans are taking on multiple jobs. Um, who is it? Weezer's got the song Can't Knock the Hustle. And then it's someone else's song originally, but they, to me, it's the Weezer version that <laughs> always stands out. And the hustle being a second job. Year-end holidays are usually joyous, filled with gift-giving, but to afford that with inflation, some Americans are taking on, um, they're either going with cheaper options or they're taking on side hustles. The Bureau of Labor Statistics said in November the economy added 263,000 jobs on Friday. That's topping analyst expectations. Buried in the details, though, is that 165,000 jump into people holding multiple jobs. That's the largest rise since June and above the 60,000 monthly average increase in the last six months. That's, again, because of inflation. Does it help our economy? Yes. And let me, let me stop there for just a second. When I say job openings, the JOLTS report, job openings, labor transition, um, it's kind of important to talk about that we're not at full employment when there's 2 million jobs or two jobs for every one worker who's looking or 1.7 jobs for every worker who's looking. Most adults either already have or plan to pick up a side gig, like delivering food with DoorDash or renting out extra space in their homes. 68% of adults plan to pick up a side gig or already have one. Did you think that was the number? 44% of Americans currently work or plan to work a seasonal job, like shipping packages for Amazon or stocking and unloading for Walmart. 51% either work or plan to work overtime at their current job. I remember when, uh, you know, those overtime days when you're young, those were pretty golden. You look back on it and you're like, why was I working 50 hours? But back then you're like, woohoo, double money. The highest inflation in a generation has ultimately ravaged households. And these are real people. 68% of Americans plan to pick up a side gig. 44% currently work or plan a seasonal job. What was your worst seasonal job? In college, one of those years that I didn't get out for Christmas on a trip or whatever. I didn't plan effectively. So um, I worked at the USPS, US Post Office. And uh, it wasn't good. It wasn't good. Um, and if your mail got lost that year, it was probably because of me. So sorting mail was not, how shall we say, a long-term career for me. There's always a holiday uptick from October until February or March by people who do the jobs to pay for holiday gifts, parties, and clothing. This year, it's very hard to differentiate between people who are picking up extra jobs to... You know, splurge and people are picking up extra jobs to cover the inflation uptick. This is very real. And again, it's it's I live in a world where I have to say um, bad news is good news. And good news is considered too inflationary. Forgive me for sometimes for I almost send on the social side of money versus the capitalist side of money. I try to balance the both for you, but it's not always the easiest. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black. Thanks for listening to the show. Make sure you find friends and refer them to the podcasting where you find this podcast, Apple, Google, where have you. 
just look up Rob Black Show and it should pop up. Uh, taking a look at the stock market, the actual numbers of the day. Um, I have one story I wish I can get to. Originally, well, Biz Stone, who was one of the original founders of Twitter, said that Elon Musk is not a serious person and he does a lot of things for game that hurts a lot of human beings. I thought that was fascinating. But today we have the markets in the red after two up weeks, after two up months, um, starting today off a little bit eh, sideways. SP 500 is down 33. The NASDAQ is down 93. The Dow Jones Industrial Average down 216. I'm Rob Black. For more information about EP Wealth, visit robblack.com. That's robblack.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.